podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I'm not sure. I haven't actually um, had a chance yet to think about, oh, Liverpool are playing again soon. It's the first time in ages, and I can't say that I've been eagerly anticipating the return of club football for once, and I'm not sure how I feel about Liverpool at the moment in terms of, well, now we'll get back to what we should be. Yeah, I'm kind of like that as well. Um, I thought I would miss Premier League football at the weekend, but I didn't. There was lots of other sports on that were actually more enjoyable to watch. And to be honest, I I wouldn't be against having another weekend without having to watch Liverpool play. Now, it is different if Thiago is fit and playing because obviously we're a much different team. But... We come out of a disappointing start to the season. We haven't played now in ages because of the games that were cancelled due to the Queen's death. And then the international break. And we face a Brighton team who are currently sitting fourth in the league. Uh, But since they last played, which was the 4th of September, they have lost their manager, had an interim manager, had two games postponed and now have a new manager and may find some sort of new manager bounce, even though they're fairly bouncing as things are. It it, it doesn't fill me with, with joy and happiness and warm thoughts. It's a very odd time. I think we're recording obviously in midweek. So it's three weeks today since our last, sorry, three weeks today since we played Napoli. So we've only played once since then. Uh, And they haven't had a game since then, I think. So, I'm not really sure where they will stand in terms of you know players' sharpness, and obviously there's a whole integration issue um, with with new coach and stuff coming in and everything. But it's an odd game in any case, isn't it? When you play a team who have just lost their manager through not their own decision as such. You know, we've we've played loads of times of managers who have new appointments because they've been sacked. The previous one has been sacked or whatever. But this is a very very different scenario. There was no negativity surrounded the team we're about to play before they changed the manager. So it is a little bit of a different thing to that we're used to. Yeah, very much so. And um, I do think... I do think that could have a negative effect on the players that their manager left them. Or, Carl, can they turn it into a positive where the players take umbrage with the fact that the manager thought you know, he could go to greener pastures? Um, I don't think so. I wouldn't imagine that the players would react that way. I think probably quite a few of them moved to Brighton for that exact reason themselves, that if they impress and they improve, 
and they would be then able to go on to bigger clubs themselves. So I don't think that they could really be set that someone else has done it. Um, that would be a bit you know, hypocritical and nonsense. Not that there's ever any shortage of that in football anyway, I suppose, but I think the the general gist that we got was obviously Graham Potter was very um, well respected by the players and very well liked by the squad and all the rest of it, and he helped to improve them. So I very much doubt any of them would be dissatisfied that he's upped and left them apart from maybe the exception being Billy Gilmore who literally left that club to go and join him there and now it's obviously not quite happened uh, the way he would have wanted but I think that there's so much reason for positivity in this Brighton team and the club as a whole that I even like it that it's a new beginning and it's a bit unexpected and a bit unknown what exactly they're going to to be doing in the first few weeks and months I, I think it's just a very exciting time for the club to be honest. As do I. I, I as do I. Like there's there's a, a lot of talented players at this club, and let's go through um, what we expect from them this weekend. Robert Sanchez will be the goalkeeper. Now he is in the Spain squad uh, of late and has one cap. I'm not really sure how that's happened because personally, I don't think he's anywhere near as good as he's made out to be. I think he's very good with his feet. I think he's absolutely appalling on crosses, and I think his shot-stopping leaves something to be desired. Um, he's only 24, though, so he is young, and he is absolutely enormous. Like, he's 6'6", he's powerfully built. There is definitely potential there. I'm just not sure how he's in the Spain squad already. Um, the defence is quite interesting to me, because... Potter has largely played a back three. And this season he's been playing with inverted wing backs. So he's played Solly March as his right wing back. And Leandro Trossard as his left wing back. Now I'm not sure De Zerbi will stick with that. I think he'll look to go more traditional with his wing backs. If he plays wing backs, he might play a back four. What do you expect from him in this first game in terms of those Specifically those full-back positions, because we can take it, I think, that Duncan Webster will play, regardless of if it's a two or a three. I think those two are nailed on to be in the team. But do you think he goes back four, or will he stick with the back five they've been playing? And if he does, what does he do with the wing-backs? Hmm. Uh, I think he's got two options here, really, hasn't he? He's got one, go in and do your own thing straight away. And the other is to, let's say, just get through to... Not necessarily all the way through to the World Cup. There's obviously still quite a lot of games to be played before then. But Brighton don't have that midweek game to look forward to every single day. So since he's only obviously had his visa a little while now, a few days, and um, been able to take actual training sessions properly, I suppose. Maybe they want to wait until they've got, like, after us, they have, um, I think it's Tottenham the following weekend. But it's like one week away, and then it's one week again until the next match. So he does have, like, quite a lot of preparation time with just one game a week, uh, and maybe it's a case of if they haven't had time to implement a real plan just at the moment, they kind of go with what they had. There's not a huge overlap of coaching group there, though, because a lot of them went with Graham Potter. Who would imagine that they just start a new slate and go with how he wants to play going forward? So I would be surprised if it's anything other than the uh, the back four that we're used to seeing from him, of course, at Sashola and at um, Shakhtar. But... 
could have his own ideas of what he wants to do. It could be that when he spoke to him, he said, you know, the back three is how I want now my own progression as a coach to go. And this is how I want to, you know, develop from what I was doing before. My assumption would be he does what we've seen so far from him. And that's going to be fairly clear 4-2-3-1, but no way of knowing for sure. Right. So if it is 4-2-3-1, Duncan Webster, your two centre-backs, I assume... Uh, Stupinen comes in at left back. And then there's a question of who plays right back. Does he go Tariq Lamptey? Or does he go with more of a solid presence in a Joel Veltman? Yeah, I would think it would be a Veltman um, to start with. I think especially with Lamptey going away international duty. Um, he hasn't been in the team really this season anyway, to be perfectly honest. So it's not... It's not like he has like form to, to point to at the moment and say like look, these kind of games I was I was dominating I was a key part of the reason I should be straight away in the team since he's been away and a few of the others obviously would be there and be getting their first training sessions under the new coaches and all the rest of it I think it's probably more likely Veltman starts. I think that's very possible. I also think it's very possible he starts Veltman at right back and Lamptey on the right wing. Because Lamptey's primary primary attributes are all attack-minded. He's not a particularly good defender. And we have seen Graham Potter in the past use him as a winger. And maybe that's what De Zerbe will look to do, to get him wide and use that explosive pace in the final third. We'll come to that, though. If he plays the back four... What are the two central midfielders? Because McAllister is going to be on the pitch if fit. Caicedo is going to be on the pitch if fit. But is that the double pivot? Or do you think will he use McAllister as a 10 with a two-man midfield of, say, Caicedo and Mwepu? I'd be, based on what he's done before, I'd be inclined to think he'll just go McAllister and Caicedo as a two. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a tricky one because I definitely haven't seen Alexis McAllister play in a double pivot before. Um, you know, even central midfield is obviously a relatively new thing. I don't know if he played in a, a three or a two in Argentina very much. It was always as a ten. I saw him as a, a younger player in the international setups as well. So it would be nice actually to see uh, Alexis as a kind of slightly deep ball player, controlling sort of um, player for the longer haul. Whether that's in this specific match, given that they're going to be away from home, obviously, uh, and they may want to be a little bit more solid through the middle uh, first game, it's possible that he does start this one as a number 10. And one issue with Enoch Mwepo is he was actually ill for most of the international break. So he was in hospital, quite a few tests and everything, and uh, eventually flew home early. So I don't imagine that he's going to be involved. Maybe he will, maybe he'll be you know, fine after tests back in England, but I think it's probably safer to assume not at this point. Um, so that puts a lot of emphasis on how important Cedo is going to be. Obviously, it has been really important for them anyway. But then you have the question of who will partner him out of the, the other options that they've got, for example. So you've got maybe Billy Gilmore as a, a sitter who can you know, get control of the ball a little bit and try to get in possession as much as possible. Um, they've got the possibility to switch around maybe one of the defenders even. Somebody a little bit more reserved as the real defensive midfielder and let Caicedo obviously be a bit more box-to-box. Um, there's a few options there because of this 
squad that Graham Potter put together, one of the big factors about it was everybody was so very, very versatile and happy to play in slightly different roles than you would consider being their normal ones. So I don't imagine they'll have too many problems, even if it looks like someone is really out of position. That's fair. I mean, you do have players like Solly March can play pretty much anywhere. I mean, he'd be an energetic pest in midfield. Gilmore's definitely an option, but I mean, I, I don't know that Gilmore is a better option in a two than McAllister. I know he's got more experience in the two, but I don't know that he's better defensively than McAllister, and he's quite lightweight and easily knocked off the ball. The injury to, to Jakob Motor is a big one at the moment, and you'd wonder if they're regretting a little bit allowing Alzati uh, to leave the club on loan because he would have been a nice fit here uh, next to Caicedo. There isn't really a natural option unless he wants to play one of the younger players. So it might well be that he has to... Maybe he moves Levi Colwell into midfield. That, that kid played as a holding midfielder a bit as an underage player. And if you're just asking him to sit in front of the defence, he could probably do that quite easily. Um, although it, it is against a very good team, obviously, in Liverpool. So... We'll wait and see. If if McAllister's not the the ten and plays in the double pivot, then you'd assume Pascal Grouse will play as the ten. If McAllister is the ten, I, then maybe Grouse goes right wing, or would you go Lamptey right wing? Uh, I think Trossard and Grouse definitely take up two spots. So. Mm. They could potentially be the two wide ones, and then McAllister is the ten. If McAllister is deeper, then I think to be honest, possibly you put another player who can just support Danny Welbeck a little bit more. So whether it's maybe Welbeck from the side and Undav up front, for example, um, and then Gross is your ten or something like that. I think they'll again. We're kind of trying to extrapolate what he's done before at, at other clubs and try to implement Brighton players into that sort of system. So it's not an exact fit, obviously. Don't really no. think that uh, Trossard out of the part. They don't really have the uh, in from out wide forwards in this squad to replicate what he did at Sassuolo, for example. That would be January spending, for example, if they're going to bring in someone to fit his way of playing. It would be a much quicker inside forward. Again, Lamptey has the pace definitely, but he doesn't play in that same way. He's much more uh, you know, sort of starts from the touchline. He's not someone who's going to drive in field towards goal onto his left foot as such. It's more that he gets to the byline, he'll be looking for cutbacks and little interplay to get behind the defence, that kind of thing. So it's a very, very different way of playing. So he's possible, but again, I just... Unless he just takes a, a real leap of faith or he's seen Lamptey lots before and he really likes the way he plays, I'm not 100% sure that Lamptey's got too much chance of big involvement in this match just because he's been away and he's not going to have had those first few training sessions. Mm. Yeah, very, I mean, if he wants a, a lefty on the the right wing, then Solly March is the one to go with because, well, he's the only left-footed attacking player they really have. Um, but it, he's not hes not particularly good. He's, he's all right. Like, he's a solid Premier League player. But he's not someone you'd bet your house on. Um, Welbeck from wide is, isn't a bad option. It's not a great option, but it's not a bad option. And then, yeah, Dennis Undav could play through the middle. Um, I think another thing they might look at is bringing in another forward, 
like a, a a line leading forward because the ones they have aren't exactly goal machines. There's nobody in this team really who is a regular scorer. It's been their issue for quite a while. I mean, it's one player. I, the young kid they brought in, the Paraguayan in CISO, I wonder if he'll take much of a shine to him because he is right-footed, but he, when he plays wide, he's always looking to come in field and get into central areas. So it's possible that he'll look at him as somebody that he can use frequently in the uh, in the long term, um, but probably not for this game. Undav up front, Welbeck to the to the side, maybe Welbeck up front, and like we said, uh, maybe March plays right, Grouse to the middle, and and um, Trossard off the left, McAllister and and Caicedo. He might just go with that because it's. These are the players that have been playing, you know, like he's going to probably change the shape, but maybe he just keeps the players the same. And maybe it's just one player drops out. So a stupid comes in and he just reshuffles the deck a little bit. So Veltman, Dunk, Webster, a stupid keeps the Caicedo McAllister pairing that's worked really well. Plays well back through the middle, Grouse behind him. That's been the front pair that's worked well this year for um, for Potter. And then what were Potter's wing backs? He just makes them his wingers in the short term. And I suppose Mwepu then is the one that misses out because he'd been playing a fair bit in midfield um, in that three with McAllister and Caicedo when it was a three. Now. There were games where they played a two in midfield and a third in attack, and that third was often the empty shirt of Adam Lalana. So you leave Mwepu, like you said, he's been ill. Lalana doesn't warrant a place in the team. Maybe you leave that player out, bring in a stupid, and just sh- shuffle things around and keep the players that have done so well in the team. And then you're not putting noses out of joint, you know, because if you're, if you're playing in a team and the team is doing well and you're fourth in the league, and a new manager comes in and all of a sudden you're dropped, but you've been playing well and contributing to a team that's been successful, that's going to annoy you. But in this scenario, he doesn't have to annoy anybody. He can just say, well, Mwepu is not available, so we're going to change it around. This is the one change I'm going to make. You've got new positions, but you're still going to be in the team. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, Like I say, I don't think there's really any need for the players to be very resistant to this change. Um, it's not one that you know has come about through any kind of negativity at all. Not the dressing room being unhappy, not bad results, bad performances, nothing at all. They were all doing so well. So I don't think that there will be huge sweeping changes. So whether that is a slight formation shift, but using similar player group or playing in a similar sort of way, but just in slightly different areas of the pitch. I mean, we know now, like the managers don't come in and say, right, we're going to play four two three one. It's not about the numbers and the lines and all the rest of it. It's the areas of the pitch where you are on and off the ball and what your job is, what your role is when possession is in certain other areas or certain other players have the ball you do where you make the angle for them and all the rest of it. So they're not going to see a huge difference, even if we see them with two centre-backs on the pitch instead of three. It's still going to be, you know, a Brighton way of build-up play. It's still going to be progression through the thirds by probably very, very confident Ball playing central defenders, uh, waiting for the opportunity to bypass if Liverpool press high, for example, uh, and trying to build through midfield that way. So 
I don't expect it to be don't expect it to look like we're not playing Brighton, the Brighton that we've known over the last few years is what I'm saying, really. Yeah, I mean, look, regardless of what he wants to change, he's only been there a couple of weeks. And as you said earlier, he didn't have the full squad for a lot of the time after he came in because they were away with their um, with their international team. So he's been missing I mean, a few players. So- he, he is only... He had like I think maybe five, six days, something like that, in training. Because yeah, it was visa at first. It took mm. a while for that to come through, obviously. So even after he was appointed, he wasn't able to, you know, actually take the take the sessions or anything like that. So they've not had that long. I'd say they'll have more time between our game and the Spurs match than they will bef- between him being appointed and the Liverpool match. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, maybe he just like I said, maybe he just sticks with what's been working. That one personnel change so he can change the system but um or change the shape rather but everything else kind of will remain the same for him to in to integrate his way of playing will take some time and it might be that we don't see deserby ball until next season because even for the world cup break he's going to be missing a bunch of players that will be gone so he might just decide that pragmatism is the best course of action and just, you know, manage his way through this season using the foundations that Potter put in place before he decides to implement too much of his own uh, beliefs for next season. I do wonder how much he'll look forward to getting Adringa and Sima back next summer, the two players that are out on loan, because both of them strike me as players that will fit well under what he wants to do um, and that's the exciting thing for Brighton is that they have those two and Michael Karbonik, who's an exciting player, and Kasper Kozlowski, who's absolutely outstanding. They have all of them on their books to come back next summer after loans. And if one of them pops and becomes the star that they predict them to be, it'll be yet another you know, big sale for Brighton and another way to reinvest money. But in the interim, it will be a player performing really well for them. Um, right, let's talk about Liverpool because, well, that's ostensibly what we're here to do. Th- this season, Carol, has not been fun. Um, we've had some fun moments. The victory over Bournemouth was fun because we scored nine goals. The victory over Newcastle was fun because of the manner of the victory, even if the game itself was not fun. And it was even more fun to see how much crying there was afterwards about the um, the way time was added on. The win over Ajax, I think there was a lot of promising football played in that game, even though we again left it very late to win the game. But aside from that, it has all largely been garbage. I mean, drawing with Fulham, awful. Drawing with Palace, awful. Losing to a really bad United team, awful. Drawing with a really bad Everton team, awful. We got absolutely whooped in Naples. And it it, it really is tough watching. How surprised are you at how badly the start of the season has gone? I think you describe it as garbage. I think that's been really, really kind. Um, I didn't think that we were going to be starting in top form, but I thought we would still be 
able to do what we did last season in spells in terms of like you know really grinding teams and still outworking them and still be in this very energetic side even if the football wasn't great I still thought we'd win games but it's been just abysmal like properly among the worst performances I've seen anywhere in Europe this season and that is saying something considering some of the dross that I've watched already it's been really 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 difficult to watch at times very easy to pinpoint what's gone wrong not so easy to fix it apparently um, but it was the most frustrating thing for me was that like two games into the season we could already see that there were quite significant issues and it was being spoken about in public at the very least as though everything was okay and we were just unfortunate not to have any more than two points and this was absolute rubbish this was absolute rubbish in fact mm. I'd say as far as other than about I think probably half an hour against Crystal Palace, I'd say we were lucky to have two points after two games of the season. Yes. And it was very, very infuriating for me to not have that fixed very, very quickly, or to at least have the acknowledgement that it needed to be fixed. And it was kind of the same after the Man United game, to be honest. So I haven't enjoyed very much of this year at all. Even the win at Bournemouth, uh, the, sorry, the win over Bournemouth, obviously I was like, when we scored so early on, and then it was fun to watch the goals go in. But I didn't actually love fact that we won 9-0 as much as I probably should have done just because I was a little bit worried at the time about it like papering over cracks basically that nothing would still get sorted and it did yeah it definitely did to an extent I think the conversation around that game was was far 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 too much like ah see we're back there was only a little blip and it wasn't it you could still see it even in that game Bournemouth were among the most dismal examples of humans that I've seen for many a month, unfortunately, but that was just the state that they were in at that time, obviously. Uh, and we absolutely made the most of it, and that's good and great and quite possibly important come the end of the season because we added nine to our tally. Um, but it didn't mask, it didn't fix problems, sorry. And that's a bit of a process, and hopefully we saw the first steps towards that against Ajax, but it was quite fleeting, I thought, in terms of what we should be doing. Um, it was definitely better, don't get me wrong, but it was not where we need to be. And I think possibly this extended break might have come a, a good time for us in terms of the results that we didn't have to get, but not necessarily great for us in terms of it was very fragmented. We wouldn't really have been working on the things necessarily that we wanted to because we were preparing for the Chelsea game right up until it was postponed. Uh, the Wolves only what the day beforehand I think something like that so it's been very fragmented obviously then the international break people wouldn't have been there so I'm not sure how much actual benefit we're going to get I just hope that it has been at the very least a complete clearing of the heads a reset of thought processes maybe from the coaches um, a really good discussion between them to acknowledge that it's been shit and it needs sorting out very very quickly and that now obviously there's going to be intent from everybody involved to fix it now not not soon but now yeah i mean it's such a strange thing in the premier league this season we went behind to fulham drew level went behind again drew level never led in that game and we're very fortunate to get a point you know they were the better team they deserved the win in that game like you said, we were good. I thought we were really good. Not really good. Really good is a stretch. We were good for the first half hour against Palace. And then they... Even good is probably a stretch. We were much better than we had been against Fulham, but we were awful against Fulham. Then they scored. 
Then the game went really flat. Then Darwin got sent off. Then we had probably 10 minutes where things went really well. And then Klopp made that bizarre triple substitution, which completely ruined the momentum. And the game went flat again. Um, We were obviously never ahead in that game. We went behind to United. We went 2-0 behind to United. And then we scored late, never ahead. Obviously, we ran away with the Bournemouth game. We led for the last three seconds of the Newcastle game. And we didn't lead at all, obviously, in the Everton game because it ended nil-nil. So outside of that Bournemouth game, the only time we've been ahead in the Premier League this season is between when Carvalho's shot went in and when the referee blew the final whistle, which he basically allowed a kickoff and that was kind of it. Um, in the European Cup, we obviously got we got whooped by Napoli. And then... We were ahead for 10 minutes against against Ajax. And then Matip scored in the 89th minute. So from then till 94. So overall, outside of Bournemouth, we've been ahead in games for about 15 minutes. Like, we've played eight games. Now, that's not counting the League Cup. Oh, we haven't played the League Cup yet, have we? we played in the League Cup? No, we haven't played the League Cup. We played Derby it next. It doesn't count the League Cup. You're still right. <laughs> Yeah, so 15 minutes from eight games, we've been ahead for 15 minutes. And we're just continuing to give teams the first goal advantage. Fulham score first, Palace score first, United score first, Newcastle score first. And obviously, Napoli as well. Ajax and Bournemouth are the only two games we've scored first in. Like, there's just something not right with the way we're starting games. There's something that is off with this team right now. And I can understand it with certain players. Like, there's definitely form issues in our team. Now, I think Ali has been really good to start the season. Trent has been poor. There's nobody that will deny that Trent has been poor. I think Trent would openly admit he's been poor. Robbo has been poor. Costas has been decent. Matip has been decent. Gomez has been poor. Looks like a lad who hasn't played a lot of football in the last couple of years. Virgil's been okay, but by his own standards, he's been poor. And see, Virgil is held to a different standard than other defenders. Because if if Ben White or William Saliba or Lissandro Martinez or one of these other defenders that people like to hype up, if they were playing at the level Virgil has played at, it'd be absolutely fine. But because it's Virgil and we know he's capable of so much more, it's disappointing. Do you think is Virgil managing himself? Is he playing within himself because the World Cup is coming up, because this is his chance to go and lead his nation into a major tournament? He missed the Euros. Do you think is that what it is? Is he just being cautious and that after the World Cup, maybe we get the real Virgil back? don't get the sense of that no uh, I do just think he's one of the group one of the ones who are just below their best to be honest I think there's been you know you rattled through the defensive ones they're certainly not only limited to them um, oh no I'm going to get to the midfield I yeah, just want yeah, your thoughts yeah, on the sure. defence first <laughs> no, but I just think that there is just a big group who are not playing as good as they can and I think he's one of them I don't so I don't get the sense that he's holding out on, on challenges or anything like that I don't think that he's not sprinted at the moment when he's when he needs to. Um, 
There have been several times when he's gone one-on-one and won the foot race or covered really well. I just think he's not as good as he can be. And that is a unfortunate thing to happen when other pillars in the team who need to be at the best for Liverpool to be at the best have also been off their game. And obviously injuries and defence has been a thing again this season a little bit. Um, it doesn't help at all when I think Robertson, especially being on, on the other side of him, has been really, really poor at times this season. Um, so it's been difficult for him, I think, to ma- manage the team in the way that he usually does when he's not his best, but also then the people who he's managing are, are way below their level as well. It's it's just an all-round Liverpool team thing at this point. And as I say, hopefully it's a, a bit of a reset now in being away in an environment or whatever you want to call it, it just has to change. So hopefully Van Dijk is one of those who really... You can't, you can't at this point, I think, six weeks out from the World Cup, worry about it. I, I mean, it's easy for us to say because, you know, we're not going to the World Cup and representing our nations. It's not our only chance. We'll do the podcast for the next Euros and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think that if you are a bit tentative in matches, one, you're going to lose form and you can't just switch it on for the first group stage game at, at the finals. It doesn't work that way. It never works that way. And secondly, we... We already know, like, we're at this stupid point in the stupid season where the most ridiculous, innocuous thing, you might miss it. And it doesn't matter if you're holding back. It doesn't matter if you're full-blooded. You might just turn your ankle running back from a corner or something like that. It doesn't have to be anything. Mm. It's like, if you're out for four weeks, you're out. That's it. Uh, it's, a, it's a very awkward and stupid and unhelpful timing. It is what it is, and you have to just sort of put it out of your mind, I think, at this point. So, what's your choice? Well, the defence might well pick itself for this game because of a couple of injuries. Um, are we expecting Allison, Trent, Joel, Virgil and Costas as the defence for this game? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure what the Andy Robson situation is. Is it? You know, obviously, he missed the um, Scotland um, international, so I think he- He's still expected to be a little bit sidelined for this game, but I don't think it's been confirmed anywhere. Um, but other than that, I don't actually see any alternatives because is not going to be back and certainly not fully fit. Gomez obviously had a few chances and can't really say that he took them by any stretch of the imagination. And Matic came back in and was a very, very important player. So he's been there he's, during the international break. He'll be fit, he'll be ready, and he's playing well. Can't say that about too many of the others, so he's in on merit anyway. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Right, midfield. Um, Fabinho's been a bit of a mixed bag this season. I think that's fair to say. He's had a couple of good games and a couple of disappointing ones. Thiago's obviously barely played. He played the first half against Fulham. Didn't look his normal self, uh, but was excellent against Ajax and didn't play in between. Um, Milner's been awful. Henderson's been awful. Artur's not played. Naby's not played. Ox hasn't played. Curtis hasn't played. Harvey Elliott has played. And Harvey has played well. Like, there's absolutely no doubt that Harvey Elliott has played well. But I think he's played well to the detriment of the team. Because I just think where he plays an attack limits what Mo can do and kind of forces Mo that bit wider. And what he does defensively leaves us very much exposed down that side. 
He's a willing defensive player. He's active. He tries. He's just a little bit brainless with what he does. Now, that's just because he's very young and he's he's not a midfielder. Look, like I, I said this before, it doesn't matter how many times Klopp plays him in midfield. He, for now, the kid is not a midfielder. He is a winger who's being played in midfield. It's a transition that maybe he can make over a number of years, but it's not going to happen straight away. And while it's ongoing, it is going to hurt us more than it helps us. But with that said, I don't really see what other option Klopp has for this game. Because, like I said, Henderson's been, he's been awful. And he was awful last year. And he played five minutes for England. I'm not sure why he went with England. I I don't really understand what the thinking was there. He clearly wasn't fit for the first game because he wasn't in the squad. And he clearly wasn't fit to play much more than five minutes in the second game. So what was the point in him doing that rather than being back at the AXA training with Liverpool, uh, other than to pick up a cap? So I think Harvey might have to start with Fab and with Thiago. Yeah, that would be my uh, assumption as well, unless we... (laughs) do the thing that we've spoken about about six times already this season and we haven't looked like doing any times in the matches and let's go to a double pivot. So on the assumption that that continues and we are staying with the 4-3-3, then yeah, I think it has to be Elliot. Um, I've seen a few people suggesting maybe they swap over sides, not swap roles, but swap sides so that Elliot is sort of left, left side of the, the three, which... I think that what they're basically trying to say is that when he's not pushing on into that sort of creative hole where Salah should be, one, Salah can go there and one, uh, sorry, two, Trent can move into that sided channel as well and, and create from there. So we get the Thiago sort of holding right side and then Elliot pushes up left side a little bit more, um, which is fine in theory, but it, there's a lot more knock effects to that. And I don't expect that that's something that we would be working on with just a few people over the international break. Um but it also it also skews how the team is built yeah, to play. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, the it, the, the left sided role has always been the one that yeah, sits in next to. You know, it's just yeah, it's a bit. It's a, I I don't like the idea of. Uh, for me, if if Arthur is fit enough to play sixty, I'd probably start him on the left and Thiago on the right. But I don't know what what kind of level he's at at the moment because obviously he's been putting in a lot of work uh he stayed behind over the international break didn't take any time off he's asked to play in under 21 games and he's done that he's clearly putting in the work to try and get up to speed i just don't know if he's close to that level yet yeah if he was available i would say yes move tiago to the right but i don't think he's going to be available or he's not going to be considered yet ready to start you put any um, any stock at all, or any anything at all, or have anything to say at all about like quite a few of the rumours that came out at the start of the international break? I only read them the other day. Actually, I kind of ignored everything Liverpool for the last week or so, um, saying that there was already a few people who to send him back in January and weren't really happy that they brought him in at all. That kind of thing. No, no, I don't put any stock in that at all because I saw where I came from. They came from some of the worst outlets you could imagine in Portugal and in Spain and in in Italy and places that would have absolutely no insight 
All the into the, like, yeah. like, let's be honest, the local Liverpool patch journalists have fuck all idea what Liverpool are doing. How's some random fella in, in Italy or Spain or anywhere going to know what Klopp is thinking? Because, like, while people might say, oh, well, they've got connections to his agent. His agent's not going to leak to them, oh, yeah, Klopp thinks he's shit, he's going to send them back. That's not going to happen. The agent is going to be the one that says Klopp is really impressed with what he's seen so far because he's going to want to hype the player up. So there's no logical argument that anything would come out of Liverpool to Romano or Calcio Mercato or El Nacional in Spain or Guillaume Balaguer. He might have got the bit from the agent that said Klopp was really impressed with his work ethic. I could see that coming from the agent. But none of the negative stuff's going to come out. When have you ever heard negative stuff come out of Liverpool as a, as a legitimate thing about any player? Klopp just doesn't allow it. You could be the worst player in the world. If you go in and you work in any way hard and you keep your, your, your mouth shut and you just get on with things, even if you're awful, Klopp won't allow anything negative to come in. Look, Ben Davies came to the club, was clearly two levels below even making the bench. And all that ever came out about him was positive, about his attitude, about how committed he was, about how he was putting in the work. Nothing negative ever came out about the lad. So nothing's going to come out about Arthur. It was just people looking to fill column inches and nothing more. It'll definitely be interesting to see when he gets on the pitch in any way. I don't, like you, I don't think it'll be a, a start straight away in an informed side and all the rest of it especially but mm. you know you look at the the games that we've got ahead perhaps he plays a bit of a part against Rangers uh, obviously back-to-back Champions League games against them coming up but in the league apart from that it's like Arsenal it's Man City West Ham they're not games you'd immediately suggest he's going to be starting in unless he has had let's say half an hour off the bench against Brighton maybe an hour against Rangers and at least one of the games that sort of thing then maybe he can have a yeah but We'll see. We'll see. There's more. Uh, That's the thing. I mean, games too. he could get, say, half an hour against Brighton. Then we play Rangers. And let's say he gets half an hour there off the bench. Then maybe he doesn't feature against City. And if he does, it's 10 minutes off the bench. But he could start the second leg against Rangers, perhaps. And that might be how they can ramp it up. And say he starts and gets 60 to 65 minutes. And then you go from there and see where he is. Um, Rangers will be by a considerable margin the worst team we play in the month of October because we've got a hectic October with with eight games. Sorry, with with nine games, six in the league, three in the Champions League. Brighton are good, Arsenal are good, City are very good, West Ham are good, Forest Forest are still better than Rangers. Leeds Leeds are still better than Rangers because Rangers would be a, a championship team if they played in England. They wouldn't. That that's not a Premier League squad that they've got. Um, and we get Rangers twice and Ajax. So Rangers will be the worst team we play, and it makes sense then that maybe one of those games is his first start, and he gets an opportunity to show what he can do. Um, I will note we have because you mentioned it earlier the, the double pivot idea. We have gone to the double pivot in each of our last three games. We went to it in against um, 
against Napoli. That was Thiago's comeback game, wasn't it? Napoli? Or am I wrong? Yeah, off the bench, yeah, we went to it in that game when he came on. We have then we went away from it. Yeah, we've been basically reliant on that as our switch when things aren't going yeah. the way we needed to, but we haven't started with it yet. No, we haven't. We did it against Ajax, obviously, for a chunk of the game, and we did it against Everton for a chunk of the game as well. But I will be interested to see if he will consider it. If he does, I think it would suit most of the players a lot more than the current setup. Um, with, the, with the potential exception of not going with Harvey Elliott as one of the uh, double pivot, I assume you mean, which uh, happened last time, obviously. Awful. <laughs> Awful. Just looked lost, poor it, fellow. It was Just looked absolutely lost. It was a bold move. It was a very bold move. Um, right, let's just let's just assume it's it's Elliot, Fabinho, and Thiago in midfield. The defense we've been through in attack. Then uh, he's got he's got one big decision to make. So Salah's going to start. My assumption is Diaz will start, but it could be Jota left wing and give Diaz maybe a bit of a rest. And if he does that, then there is the opportunity to start Darwin through the middle. But what would you do in attack? Knowing that Salah will start, what would you do with the other two spots? Uh, I think Jota will probably start. Um, so looking back again at the, the last game that we played against Ajax, I think he, he looked decent in spells. He was quite busy and quite he brought the energy that we definitely had been lacking and we were really, really desperate to get back in into the attacking line. Um you know, on the technical level, not not quite there, but which is totally understandable because he was not good at the back end of last season and he had a load of injuries. And then he's missed all the start of this season with injury as well. So you wouldn't expect him to be in full flow in terms of his rhythm and everything, but I think he did good work. So assuming no fitness issues coming back from injury, uh, international duty, I'd say he starts again. And a bit tricky for the other one because obviously... Long haul flights back from South America, um, certain levels of involvement for for, for Darwin and Diaz. Um, I'm not really sure how we go with that one, to be honest. It's it's almost a potluck. I mean, I'd say Diaz because he's nominally the starter and is our, our best forward this season. But we have seen, mm. obviously, sometimes that Klopp doesn't want to risk them or the, the sports scientists say don't don't start them at the very least. And so it could be a, a little bit of a change around there. Obviously, we haven't mentioned Garvalho either, but... I don't expect he's starting at the moment. No, no, I don't think so. And um, I mean, look, he could be an option to start off the left if if Jota's through the middle and Klopp doesn't want to risk starting uh, Diaz or Darwin. That's certainly a possibility. Um, he has obviously looked bright this season. He obviously didn't have a good game against Everton, but largely because he was played in midfield and isn't a midfielder. Um, yeah, I, I assume it'll be Diaz, Diaz and Salah either side of Jota, um, and maybe use Darwin off the bench. But I don't know. With Darwin, Darwin scored and played well for Uruguay, and I'd like to see us try and kind of piggyback off that while he's while he's got his confidence. He looked a totally different player for Uruguay than he has for us because the, there's not as much pressure on him with Uruguay. He doesn't seem as as hurried in everything with Uruguay. He seems more comfortable and more confident in his role with them, which is understandable considering he arrived with an enormous fee and 
everything he does gets micro-analyzed and we saw a cross in training that was overhit and, you know, the, the usual social media Muppets trying to make out that it was a shot when it was very clearly a cross. And what should have been the focus of the video was how well he did to win the ball off the defender. Um, so, you know, like that kind of stuff is probably going to have some sort of effect on him because he is quite active on his social medias. So, you know, we we do we do have to take into account that he's probably just e- very, very play? eager to impress. Do you know? how, long did he, how long did he play for Uruguay in that second game? 60, I think. Maybe that does push him a little bit closer to, to starting because that was the day before, or sort of certainly earlier on, um, the day before the Azers game for Colombia, which was very late night for us or early, early on in the morning even, uh, against Mexico. And he played the full 90 in that as well. I mean, he came off subbed in injury time sort of thing. So he did effectively play a 90 mm. half a day later. So possibly, like I say, that's that's one of the things that they look at in terms of getting back to Merseyside, presumably Thursday. Um, you maybe guess. That's, maybe, that's not, maybe that's not enough time, like recovery one day. Tactic session another day and then match day, so there's not a whole lot of recovery time there for Diaz. No, there's not at all. And obviously, with this game being a 3 p.m. kickoff on the Saturday, you know, it, it if it was a, a late kickoff or even or, or preferably a Sunday kickoff, he'd have that extra bit of time. But the fact that it is a 3 p.m. Um, probably means that it's it's a very short turnaround. Um, I mean. The other option, obviously, is to play Jota left and Bobby through the middle, um, which again is an option. Bobby didn't play for Brazil at all. Uh, in the yeah, so I mean, maybe he's just in a, in a in a fresher state of fitness, so maybe he's an option. But Bobby has been a mixed bag himself this season, and and by mixed, I mean more poor than good. Um. Look, this is why we don't get paid eleven million a year. This is why it's Jurgen's <laughs> decision to make. Uh, but Eddie, if if you've got it, I'm more than willing to take it, mate. <laughs> um, no, look, I, I think I think that those are the two positions he, he, that he probably has the biggest decisions on. Now, there is obviously the this the the situation at right side of midfield. Henderson will want to start and. Klopp has given in time and time again and played him when he doesn't deserve to play or when he's just back from an injury. So it is possible that he starts there. But I do think the defence midfield, the defence um, and midfield probably pick themselves. And it's just a matter of who plays in those last two forward positions with Salah. I think everything else should be fairly set. Yeah, I agree. I don't see how Henderson would be fit to start this game, considering lack of minutes, lack of training, obviously, at Liverpool uh, across this international break. Just, it wouldn't make a lot of sense at all. No. No, I mean, if look, if he'd stayed behind and just trained at the club for the past couple of weeks, then, yeah, yeah. It, it would likely be possible, but not now. Uh, and, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, like, Liverpool have still got quite a few... out. Injured at the minute, Henderson is going to be needed to play. Whether he's in form or not, he's he's going to be needed to play. We've got starting with this Brighton game, four matches in eleven days, so he's got to play. So he needs to be fit and ready to play when he is called upon. So there's no point in just chucking him straight back in if he's not. 
ready to give a really, really good 60 minutes of energy and enthusiasm and doing all the jobs and, you know, hopefully on the technical level, improving on what we've seen so far as well. But we need people to be at the very, very least fit and full of running at the moment because that's been one of the most diabolical aspects of our season so far. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of injuries, Ox out, Nabby out, Robbo, they're not really sure, or at least they weren't before the international break exactly when, but they would say this, it was that after the international break type of thing. Um, Ibu is back in training, so, you know, like you said, he'll need to ramp things up himself. Curtis Jones it remains a mystery. Um, so Klopp said on September 6th, when Curtis was out previously, he had a stress reaction in a bone around the tibia. It was absolutely fine, but he trained twice and then felt it again. It's not as bad as the first time, but was bad enough to stop him training. We have to be careful. Now, that is three weeks ago. Yeah, so maybe right. Curtis is back in training. He could well be. Um, I spoke to somebody about this, actually, um, who, who deal with a lot of the sort of density and bone um, breaks as such, but issues with uh, sports and, and bones and how to prevent injury to them and all the rest of it. So I'm not going to pretend to understand exactly everything that he told me, but effectively what he's saying is that the type of injury that it is, is something which doesn't necessarily go away entirely straight away. And it can be gone as such, but still be present, if you know what I mean. It might be like such a microscopic injury that just the pressure on it the wrong way can suddenly exacerbate it quite a bit. Mm. And so it has to be a really gradual, slow uh, return to training program, basically, uh, well before he's ready to even actually play football and have you know, contact injury uh, contact um, in the match and all that kind of thing. So it is a case of literally doing like maybe two or three training sessions see how it's going, see if there's any progress, see if there's any reaction to it, if there's a change in size of the injury or anything like that. And if there's not, then you start to ramp it up again with the next couple of training sessions. And there's no real linear progression for it as such. You just literally have to manage it and let it do itself. And then when it's done, it's done. And in the meantime, if it's not, you just have to hold off again. It's quite frustrating, but that's what it is. That's that's the injury, unfortunately. It's very frustrating for him because obviously... Last season, he had a very frustrating year as well, where he had there was an ankle injury early in the season and missed a bunch of games or missed a couple of games. And then he had the eye injury and he missed two full months with that injury. And now he's missed the entire start of the season, basically, with this one. He played in the Community Shield for like, what, 60 seconds? And then was meant to play the next day, arrived at Anfield, didn't play, and was seen leaving in one of the the pressure boots or the space boot things, and then hasn't played since. I mean, he was on the bench for one of the games, and then he just disappeared again. So it's just got to be very frustrating for him, because obviously in the second half of last season where we're going for everything... Klopp is hesitant to play young players who aren't kind of battle-hardened and, and battle-tested. So Curtis was on the bench one week, in the stands the next, got 20 minutes the following week, back in the stands. 
him and Harvey seem to be rotating one bench position for the last couple of months of the year. Mm. And at, at the age he's at, that's just got to be really, really frustrating because these are the years he wants to be getting more and more game time under his belt, wants to be developing. He's got to be looking... like Curtis seems like an intelligent lad. He's got to have looked at our midfield and thought, there is a position screaming out to be filled in that midfield. That right, right side spot is wide open if I can show what I'm capable of. And we know he's got the talent. Like, we know he's got the talent. The decision-making isn't always there, but the talent is there for him to be absolutely outrageous in the right-sided midfield role, combining with Trent and with Mo. He's got both the on-ball and off-ball capabilities to do it. He's got the physical stature to do it. He's a big, strong boy. He's got to be frustrated knowing... because. Players know how good other players are, and players watch games and know how well someone's played. There's no way he wasn't sitting at home last year with that eye injury, watching Jordan Henderson and going, if I was fit now, I could take that spot. I could be better than he is playing right now. At least to the point where it becomes, I play one game, he plays the next, as Jurgen tries to manage an older player. So you've got, because he, he'll have seen the Nabi Thiago platoon on the left side, and he'll have to have thought, if he hasn't, then I'm disappointed in him. He has to have thought at some point, I could be sharing that right-sided role with Henderson. And in time, that can be my role in this team. I can make that my own. And injuries are just taking away that opportunity. He's been overtaken by Harvey Elliott. He may well get overtaken by... Fabio Carvalho, if he's not careful, even though I think Fabio belongs in the front three and not in midfield. But like the other thing for him is he can also play off the left. And Diaz came in, did really well. Carvalho's come in, he's been exciting. He's fallen behind them on the left wing as well. So like it's just going to be really frustrating for him at 21 when he sh- when he should be getting more and more game time to be sitting out and having to watch through... Kind of freak injuries. Like, he didn't get a bang or anything that caused this injury. The eye injury was a freak injury. It's just so unfortunate for him. It is, and even after the eye, I think he got COVID then and he had something else. I think there was a concussion at the start of the season as well, wasn't there, last year? So it was like one yeah. ridiculous situation after another for him for a while. And the annoying thing is as well when he came back he had like a couple of his most impressive games all around the Bournemouth won the Porto game I think soon afterwards and like there were a few games where he was like really taking the lead and showing that he could be a, a regular starter if not a you know first name on the team sheet type of player so hopefully he overcomes this and you know that's kind of the end of it then he can put it behind him at some point but it's especially frustrating for him now because of all the other injuries because of the inconsistencies at the start of the season you mentioned looking at Henderson his performances knowing what we know about Curtis Jones he's probably looking at like Mohamed Salah and saying I'm better than you uh, that's that's the kind yes. of idea so he <laughs> yeah. absolutely, he he's absolutely had a look at Thiago and thought yeah I mean you're Spanish and you, you can pass the ball it, but I mean well, you didn't yeah. score against Everton in the derby like <laughs> so yeah I, I definitely think that he would be uh the opinion he can uh, take a, a spot and he probably will do when he gets back anyway you know it's just patience and time and neither of those two things are necessarily um 
associated with younger players and with supporters as well. And it's very, very easy to overlook and to forget what he's capable of and to write him off. But hopefully, sooner or later, he is back in the frame. Well, look, while Curtis is injured, he obviously can't do too much. What he can do is he can work on the two things that seem really important in a Jurgen Klopp right-sided midfielder, which is pointing and shouting. So, you know, just start... go. I don't know where he lives. I don't know if he still lives at home. If you do live at home, Curtis, and you hear this, just get yourself into the kitchen and just start barking at your mum, barking at your dad, barking at your siblings, pointing, telling them where to go. You go and stand over there. What do you mean you're going to work over there? You don't, I'll show you how you get to work. You don't know how to get to work all by yourself. Doesn't matter you've been doing it for 30 years. I'll show you how to get to work. Things like that. The basics, the fundamental basics of being a right-sided midfielder for Liverpool. Carl Matchett, give me your prediction for this game. I haven't got a clue, Dave. I haven't got an absolute <laughs> clue. This would be such a shot in the dark. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. This is my prediction. I'm going to open a browser tab. I'm going to ask for a random roll of the dice. Here we go. Liverpool's oh, yes. score in this game is going to be... I'm going to do two dice at once, right? Liverpool are first and Brighton are second. Here we go. Score will be 6-2 to Liverpool. Excellent. 6-2. brilliant. Sensational. That's brilliant. Uh, right, I'll, I'll do similar. I'll do similar. Uh, so I've got Liverpool 4. Brighton 5. <laughs> For God's sake. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to say, look, as long as Thiago plays... I believe we will win this game. I believe we will win this game. Because when Thiago and Fabinho start without Henderson, I think we've only ever lost once, and that was Inter Milan at home in the second leg of the European Cup quarterfinal, when we didn't need to win anyway because we were winning 2-0 from the first leg. I think I'm right in saying that's the only game we've lost. I also think I'm right in saying it's the only game where it's been Thiago, Fabinho, plus not Henderson, that we haven't won. I think every other game we've won. So in that sense, I'm going to say we win this game. I'm going to go 3-1 to Liverpool. I'm going to go 3-1. I think Salah gets one. I think Jota gets one, because his movement will cause Lewis Dunk a lot of problems. And I'm backing Darwin off the bench to come on and score. So I'm going to go 3-1 to the Reds. Give De Zerbi the the wrong type of manager bounce that that medicine ball bounce where it hits the ground and just dies. Um, three the one to the Reds. The Claudio Ranieri yeah. bounce. The Claudio Ranieri. Um, I, and you've got a uh, you've got six two to the Reds. Yeah. So twice as good as yours. <laughs> twice as good. Yeah. Um, right. That will do us for today. Uh, if you haven't listened to our World Cup previews, please do. Do bear in mind we recorded them before Ronald Arreo pulled out of Uruguay's squad to have surgery. Um, so please adjust your expectations for Uruguay accordingly. Uh, and that is it. We will be back next week when things really start to heat up. And we will be going twice a week for most weeks moving forward. Yeah, we'll be back for Rangers, and uh, I'll see you then. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. 
Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.